0: Welcome to the teaching ministry of Dr. Fred Lowry, illuminating God's Word for today's world. The choice, the Word of God, or the world? The choice, Christ, or culture for us? We can choose Christ. so glad you're here for this service this morning. We had dinner last night with uh, Carlos and Silvia Garcia, and they have an incredible ministry in Juarez, and we've been going there as a church for over 10 years to do different things at different times. And uh, I think they're going to talk in a Sunday school class. Are, are they in this service, uh, Carlos? Stand up so they can see you. Let's let them know we're glad they're here. They're the guests of, of, of Leroy Faith, or they'd be sitting closer to the front. Uh, but Carlos and I were talking last night at dinner, and he, he told me a fascinating story. about. We talked about what's happening in, in Mexico, and, and all of our hearts are broken over the tragedy. so so much corruption, so many deaths more than even in Afghanistan. It's a war zone. And we pray for the protection of the people and protection of those who go in to minister like Carlos and Sylvia and many others. But he was telling me about, you know, all of us remember the same deal in Colombia and when that was uh, so bad and the guns and the cartels and the drug lords and the, the corruption. But he was telling me that somehow the government and the christians cooperated and a revival broke loose and amazing things happened in colombia and he said he was reading an article of the secular press in mexico or they were looking at mexico in this press story and what's happening there because the new president wants to deal with the the cartels and and wants to make things different but it's so so very difficult. And but but this writer said that in Mexico now it is Colombia minus Jesus. Mexico now just like Colombia, trying to do better, trying to stop this murdering, wholesale murdering, and change the the the, the way things are in Mexico. But they're trying to do it without Jesus, which is impossible. But do you understand that many people, including many who are members of this church and some who are in the service this morning who are living their lives as a church member minus Jesus, I'm talking about people who can be church leaders, people who can be here every time the doors are open, give to the offering, sing the songs. But their life is minus Jesus. Because you see, Jesus doesn't come into your life to play around, He doesn't come into your life to be your friend. He doesn't come into your life to be anything but Lord. He is Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. The little boy fell out of the bed and his dad said, "Uh, what happened, son? He said, well, I guess I stayed too close to where I got in. And that happens to some people in the church because they get saved and then... Nothing much happens after that. They truly get saved and and, and they're going to heaven, but there are no rewards. They're they're, going to go stand before the Lord empty handed when he asks, how many did you bring to me? How many people, how many souls did you bring to heaven? Because they made a decision for Christ without discipleship. There are others who made a decision for Christ without determination. They they made a decision for whatever reason because they, they wanted a free ticket to heaven. They didn't want to go to hell, but they had no intention from day one of ever doing anything but running their own life. That's why many believe that the majority of church members are lost. you think about it you know if if all church members were saved uh, this building wouldn't hold the people we'd have to have 4 5 6 7 services with just our members so I, I, we're in we're talking about loss and gain we're in chapter 3 of philippians it's, and this is a fascinating chapter and and I need 2 hours so if you just bear with me he begins chapter 3 with saying, finally, my brothers. A little boy whispered in church, his dad said, dad, what does it mean when the preacher says finally? The dad said, absolutely nothing. And it was also true with Paul because he goes on for two more chapters when he says finally. Rejoice in the Lord. Paul begins each section with rejoice. He ends the section with rejoice the theme of this book is joy jesus first others second yourself last that's that's what joy is all about and he's teaching us how we can be joyous in all circumstances so he says rejoice this time he adds a qualifier rejoice in the lord not just rejoice but rejoice in the lord in other words, the Lord Jesus is the occasion, he is the source, he is the supplier for the joy. And the only reason that Paul can be in prison, facing an execution and have joy is because his joy is in Christ. The reason you and I can go through difficult times, troubles and trials and have inner joy is because our joy is in Christ. So he qualifies that joy. It's Jesus' joy. And by the way, all you'll ever need in this life is Jesus' joy. You'd never need more than Jesus or less than Jesus. And because Jesus is Lord and our joy is in the Lord, then our joy is really independent of circumstances. It doesn't matter what the circumstances are. We have inner joy in the Lord. What does Nehemiah say? The joy of the Lord is your strength. So joy is not only available to us, but that's where we get our strength. It's joy that arms us for battle with the world. It's joy that gives us strength for the personal battles when trouble and tragedy comes into our lives. It's joy that gives us strength. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. So Paul says, I don't have any problem repeating myself. It's no trouble for me because he's in prison awaiting execution, and he's rejoicing, and he knows how important joy in the Lord is, and he doesn't mind repeating that over and over. And it's so important he begins and closes every section with rejoice. But he also says it's a safeguard for you because I'm in prison for the gospel. I'm here because I stood up for Jesus Christ. And I may die for that, and that's fine, and I'm happy about it. I'm happy to be in jail because it's for the gospel. And the gospel has gained momentum because I'm in jail. So I praise God for that. So he says, we have every reason to to rejoice and it's a safeguard against those things that would undermine our faith. You see, when the bottom falls out of your life and sooner or later, that's gonna happen, then there are no exceptions. You're either having a problem or you you're getting ready to have a problem or you live with a problem you're gonna i mean things are going to happen in your life and many times when those things happen that's when satan comes in and tries to undermine our faith and to put questions in our minds about the reality of our faith and does god really love us and if god loves us why does he put us through this kind of stuff so it's our joy in the lord that is our strength that keeps us from falling prey to Satan and believing his lies. So that inner joy of the Lord within us becomes a seawall, it becomes a bulwark, it becomes a, a defense for things that would take us down otherwise. You see, lose your joy and you lose your victory. Lose your joy, and you lose your victory. So rejoicing in the Lord is that safeguard that we need to keep from from Satan undermining our faith. And then Paul gives an explosive warning. And to be honest, we'd have to give Paul a PG-13 rating. He uses an expletive. He, he, he uses a... a a, a, a word that uh, is not a good word because he's making such a strong point. Watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh. Now Paul's been fighting the Judaizers for years, the, these Jewish Christians ostensibly who, who demanded that the Gentile Christians submit to all the Mosaic traditions and all the laws and to be circumcised. So Paul, who may be the most brilliant mind in Christianity, Paul, with irony and with insults, he took their own favorite words and reversed them and used them against them. And that hurts when when that happens. He used their own, he actually slapped them in the face with their own slogans. Because they were the ones, the self-righteous Jews were the ones who were calling the Gentiles dogs. Now, for you pet lovers, we're not talking about pets. These were Uh, coyote-like animals that were uh, wild and vicious and fed on uh, garbage and roadkill and uh, all kind of stuff like that. So he's not talking about uh, a pet. So these Judaizers, circumcision was what they prided in. That was their greatest source of pride. And Paul uses it against them. What's his implication? Those who are man-centered in their religion and lead people astray are no more sensitive and caring than dogs, wild animals, selfish animals that devour one another. those who don't do religion like I do, those who have all this pride about this is the way to do it, Paul says they lead people astray and they don't really care any more than dogs care about devouring one another. Now listen to me. False teachers or false preachers teach a man-centered gospel. man-centered gospel and that's why Paul is so upset that's why he uses such strong language because Paul knows the gospel is everything Paul says for me to live is Christ Christianity is Jesus it is Christ salvation is a personal relationship with Christ Paul said for me to live is simply the gospel of Jesus Christ it is Christ and Christ alone So he is so unhappy with these people because they're preaching a false gospel and they are deliberately leading people astray. And they're doing it for selfish reasons and wrong motives. Now listen, you could mess with Paul. You could say terrible things about Paul. You could curse him. You could put him in jail. You could chain him to a guard. You could threaten him with execution. And what would be his response? I'm rejoicing. I'm happy to be in jail. Really, it's working out well because they keep chaining a guard to me and I went him to Jesus and they chained another guard and I went him to Jesus and people all over the praetorian guards are coming to Jesus. I'm just so happy to be in jail. Mess with Paul, you get joy. But if you mess with the gospel, you really get Paul upset because he knows that the gospel is the most important thing. Paul would say, don't you dare mess with the gospel ever in any way. Don't add anything to the gospel. Don't take anything away from the gospel. The gospel is what Paul says is our life and our hope and there's nothing more important Paul would say I live to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and by the way that's not a bad way for any of us to live does Paul really feel this strongly about those who are messing with the gospel those who are preaching a watered down gospel or a are a gospel that's a false gospel. Well, we don't have to wonder about that. Listen, listen to what he says in Galatians one. Paul, an apostle, sent from not sent not from men, nor by man. Paul says, "I I, I hadn't been sent by man, not from man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead." If you want to know where I get my orders, it's straight from God the Father who raised Jesus from the dead. And all the brothers with me, to the churches in Galatia, grace and peace to you from God our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age. And then let me drop down. I am astonished that you're so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel which is really no gospel at all. I preach a lot of sermons to you and it may well be that this, this sermon hits more at the core of what's wrong today in America with Christianity than any message I've preached. Now you listen carefully. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we are an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be eternally condemned. Did you get it? Paul says if anybody preaches another gospel, a different gospel than the one we've been preaching, even if it's me, Those people should be condemned to hell. Would you call that strong? As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let him be eternally condemned. He said it twice. Am I now trying to win the approval of men? Are of God? Or am I trying to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. Lee sent me a text this morning at, at church. When she sends me a text on Sunday morning while I'm getting ready to, to preach, I always assume it's from the Lord. But listen to this. Let these false prophets tell their dreams, but let my true messengers faithfully proclaim my every word. There is a difference between straw and grain, chaff and wheat. Does not my word burn like fire, says the Lord? Is it not like a mighty hammer that smashes a rock to pieces? I've had it with these prophets, You get all their sermons secondhand from each other. Yes, I've had it with them. They make up stuff and then pretend it's a real sermon. Did they have television then? Now, Paul is brokenhearted and he is so strong. Again, understand, he is in, he's in jail, not for doing wrong, for doing right. He's facing execution. Does that bother him? Happy to do it. You can mess with me. You can kill me. But don't you dare mess with the gospel of Jesus Christ because there's nothing more important. And so he uses the strongest language he can possibly use. You say, well, what about love? Because... The big thing in today's world is love everybody and toleration. The God is toleration. So what about love? Paul's stern warning to these Christians being led astray by false teachers does not show lack of love. It shows a strong love that cares enough to say, hey, wait a minute, you're going down a wrong road. That's a false gospel. And anything, anything that takes away or adds to the gospel that I've been preaching, the gospel of this book, it's a false gospel. And you don't want to go down that road. Love warns like you would warn your child who's about to make a terrible mistake. That's what Paul is doing. And remember, the word of God comforts the afflicted, but it also afflicts the comfortable. Paul said in Galatians, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Who's gotten you off track? The real circumcision is spiritual circumcision of the heart. It's being justified by faith in Christ alone for salvation. Now, I'll be honest with you. That issue is still around today. And we don't use the word circumcision, but false circumcision comes in many forms. Legalism. There are dead churches all over America because they are simply legalistic and they're against everything. Negative. A false circumcision. Prosperity gospel. It's hard to turn on religious television without hearing a sermon on how you can, if God wants to give you a lot of money and make you rich and meet all your needs and your greeds. The prosperity gospel is a false gospel. Self-help formulas, psychology. I'm okay, you're Okay. okay you okay one guy was saying another at a restaurant he was saying i found me a new church and it's wonderful said i I said i love it another guy said "What, what what do you love about it he said well it's it's fun and it doesn't matter how you live your life nobody cares and sin is never mentioned paul would pitch a fit And so would Jesus. See, the word of day is, "Don't be too strong for you. Don't be too strong. You run somebody off. You hurt somebody's feelings." Jesus preached hell, fire, and damnation. Said more about hell than he did heaven. Paul was strong, 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 but strong about the right things. The gospel is not to be meddled with. Don't mess with the gospel. Mess with other things, but not the gospel. And the truth is, I'm not okay, you're not okay. We're both sinners. And repentance is our only hope. And any gospel that leaves out the reality of sin and the necessity of repentance that a changed life is a false gospel, no matter where you hear it. And That's not my belief. That's Paul's belief. That's Jesus' belief. That's the word of God, and you can look it up for yourself. But there's false gospel everywhere. Now, he gives us three characteristics of a true teacher, a true preacher. He says, true teachers worship by the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit of God, not some human right, not rules, regulations, rituals, not doing church some cool way. The main thing is the spirit of God. That's true teachers. And then he says, true teachers, glory in Christ, not in works, not in the accomplishments of man, a man is saved not by what he does, but what, what God has done for him in Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, 40 is by grace have you been saved. Through faith, it's not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one would boast. Third thing he says, and you sit right there in your scripture. True teachers put no confidence in the flesh. None, zilch, not a Zero. The true circumcised boast only in the cross of Christ and put no confidence in the flesh at all. We're justified by faith alone in Christ. The Judaizers were, Judaizers were confident in, in, in trusting rules and regulations and this whole the ceremonial laws and the rabbinic traditions, but it was all based on works, performance, They rejoiced in the flesh. It was external righteousness. And it was filled with pride. The individual was in the center, not Christ. The individual was in control, not Christ. See, if you're in control, then then it's a false, false religion you have. It's a false gospel. You give your life over to Christ. No strings attached. He's Lord. He's God. See, the only way Jesus will come into your life, he will come in as God. And God is in charge. And the sooner you realize that, the better off you'll be. Verse 4, though I myself have reasons for such confidence, he's now going to use himself as an example. Paul is so strong, but now he's so humble that he uses himself as an example. And he says, I have reasons for such confidence. If anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. And he lists them out to put, he said, I was circumcised on the eighth day. Let me have a little bit of this water. If You just hold your spot there you need something over there it's, I'll pass it to you <clears throat> circumcised <clears throat> they, they said you had to do it uh, seven days after birth which is really uh, the, the eighth day that was the Abrahamic covenant Paul did that he was an insider from birth <clears throat> no late guy coming in trying to get in on something he was there He was. in other words we, today we would say born in the church I'm a Christian because I was born in a church. My parents are Christians, my grandparents are Christians. I've always been a Christian. If you're born in a car, does it make you a garage? Born in a hospital, make you a doctor? Has nothing to do with it whatsoever. So he says of the people of Israel, he said, I'm an Israelite. I'm of the right race, I'm pure blooded. The tribe of Benjamin, that was the elite tribe. Benjamin was the only son born in the promised land and the only tribe that remained faithful to, to Judah. And when they returned from exile, they resettled in Jerusalem. Saul, the first king, was a Benjaminite. That this is the tribe to belong to. Paul was of that tribe. And then a Hebrew of the Hebrews. His parents were Hebrews. He spoke Hebrew and Greek. Most were speaking Greek but he continued to speak Hebrew. He he studied, he was educated under Gamaliel, who was known to be the, the most brilliant teacher of that time, certainly one of the most brilliant. And Paul studied under him, and Paul with his cerebral mind anyway. As to the law, he was a Pharisee. Pharisee means separated one, but the Pharisees were the fairest of the fair. They were the purest of the pure. They were the most respected. They were the ones who didn't break any laws. They did everything right. And Paul <clears throat> Paul chose, he chose to keep all these laws, 600 and something, like 615 laws uh, and uh, commandments. And uh, they were more negative, by the way, uh, 365 of them were negative. But Paul kept all of them. And the Pharisees were so pure that they didn't sit with people who didn't keep all those 600 and something. They would sit with Jesus because Jesus kept them all. So it's just Jesus and the Pharisees. They're the purest of the pure, the fairest of the fair. The arrogant of the arrogant. Paul says, I was a Pharisee. As to to zeal, nobody more zealous than Paul. He was a persecutor of the church. We talked about it last Sunday. He was a fair-sake terrorist who launched a terror campaign against the church and tried to shut down the cult of Christianity, willing to drag women and children out of their homes and to put them in prison, gave approval for the murder, even was there standing while Stephen was stoned to death. Paul was zealous as to righteousness under the law, blameless. He kept all the laws. He had an iron will. He could, have, he could do the spiritual iron man. Amazing superiority. And so when Paul says, if anybody could boast, I could boast, that's no empty boast. Paul is the gold standard for self righteousness, nobody was better. Now, Paul then changes to accounting terminology: gain and loss. Remember last week we, we I asked you, "What are you counting on?" And what if what you're counting on doesn't count? What if what you're counting on doesn't count? So he he goes to accounting terminology of gain and loss, and first he puts everything on the the credit side. Nothing on the debit side. Uh, he he and, he and we have a, a list of those things. Do we have on the screens? Ah, uh, there they are. All of his credits, circumcised pure-blooded Israelite, tribe of Benjamin, the, Hebrew, the Hebrews, the Pharisees, the persecuted Christians, kept all the commandments, blameless, wealth, power, position, connections, his heritage, and also his achievements. All credits, no debits. But then Paul shows how it really is now that he's met Christ. Do we have another slide? Now he moves everything to the debit side. All of those things we just mentioned, they're all debit, losses. They're just one credit, only Jesus. Well, let's bring it down to our day, our church. Let's see the next slide. On the credit side, here we are. Most of you were born in a Christian home. You have a heritage, a Christian family. Maybe your grandparents were Christians. Your great grandparents Christians. Your heritage. You're religious. You join the church. You got baptized. Some of you were baptized two or three times just to be sure. You're a moral person. You don't cuss, drink, or chew. Go women that do. You serve in the church. You tithe or give regularly. You help the poor. You're a deacon. You're faithful, you don't miss all those credits. But now, the next slide. In reality, all of those things are on the debit side. Do you you see and understand that a person can be in the church every time the doors are opened and can serve, can even be a deacon, could be a pastor? could be any person in the church and be here and and live this religious life and be lost as a ball in tall weeds, as dead spiritually as a stick. That's what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, I was Mr. Religious. You'll never get more religious than Paul. Trust me, none of you will ever get more religious than the Apostle Paul. And Paul is going to tell us that that is all loss. It's all debit. That Jesus is our only credit. Our one and only credit is Jesus. I had lunch with a multimillionaire one day. His wife had left him. His children were alienated from him. And he said, I would give everything that I own and all the money I have if I could just put my family back together. Loss and gain. Here's Paul's explanation. I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ personally as my Lord and Savior. There's nothing that compares to that. Not any good that I could do, not any work that I could perform. Nothing compares with the wonderful and glorious privilege of knowing Jesus Christ personally. Paul looks back on that Damascus road and here this religious terrorist met the grace of the Lord Jesus and his life was never the same so that he now says, for me to live is Christ and to die is more of Christ. All those other things are losses when it comes to what's really important. His assets, his wealth, his position, his power, his friendships, his heritage, loss. In fact, he he gets so strong that, listen to what he says. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. He gave up these things. I consider them rubbish, garbage. The word is dung. Is there anything lower than that? Human waste. He said, you take all these religious accomplishments all these self-righteous things. It's all dung. And he used that word that in that day was a bad word that you didn't want to say publicly. And it's only used this one time in the New Testament. But he made his point well. I consider it Below garbage. you Think about that. He's talking about working in religion. He's talking about working in the church. He's talking about serving. He's talking about giving to the church. He's talking about being a moral person and keeping all the laws. And he says all of that is lower than garbage. If you depend on any and all of that, you will not make it to heaven. Remember when... Those who said, Lord, Lord, let us in. And, Lord, I, I, I did this, I did that. And Jesus said, sorry, I never knew you. Paul is, that's what Paul is trying to get us to understand. Paul, Paul had committed everything to Christ in this intimate relationship. And his other relationships were lost. His religion, lost. His rewards, lost. And this counted is a a perfect tense here. It's it's action that started in the past and continues to this very day. When I got saved, I counted all that lost. And today, as I'm facing execution and dying, I'm still counting it all as garbage. It's lost. Now, things let me give you two essential things that every one of you need and I hope you have these two but if if you don't you don't need to leave here today unless you know you have them and the first one is simply a personal spiritual relationship with Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior you don't make deals with him it's all or nothing he comes in as God you're no longer in charge and if you are in charge even though you're a Christian then you're living in disobedience and nothing good comes from that if you confess Christ as Savior it draws you out of the world the separation from a worldly life and as you accept Christ as Lord it sends you back into the world to win the world with the gospel to live the gospel to uphold the gospel. But understand if Jesus isn't first place in your life, then he's out of place. The second, a devotional relationship with Jesus Christ. See, this thing about walking down the an aisle and joining a church and being baptized and saying that's still it, misses the gospel by a million miles. That's just the beginning of a journey. That's the first step, and many steps are beyond that. You need that daily, quiet time with the Lord. You need to build that intimacy with the Lord because that's where you get your inner joy and strength to feel his presence, to sense his presence. And that, that involves time, talk, transparency, trust. Just like in a marriage. That initial relationship. If if you got married, and I've done enough marriage counseling to know that this happens pretty often, if you get married, say I've done that, and then just go on. It's a train wreck. Because that's just the initial commitment. And after that, it is work, work, work. And it is spending time. It is talking. It is learning to trust each other. It is being transparent with each other. That's intimacy. The word, a Latin word, into me you see. It's you have this intimate relationship with God so that when you get with God, you don't pretend. You open the shutters of your inner soul and you're totally honest with God. And you and the Lord build this intimate relationship that's more real than anything else in your life. Now, let me ask you a question. In this room this morning, how many of you are more like Paul in his pre-conversion when he was a religious superstar? than like Paul after his true conversion and Jesus became his Lord and Savior so that he could say for me to live is Christ. That's it. Nothing else really matters. You say, but pastor, if you're saying, well, if, if Christ is just everything, then w- what about family? My family is important. It's just like what I told my wife when I married her. You will never be first place in my life. But I want you to count that a joy. Because if if you will pray and if I will keep Christ first in my life, I will be a better husband than you could have any other way. I will be a better father than I could ever be. Christ has absolute superiority. He's Lord. The gospel puts him first. If he's not in first place, he's out of place. Paul based everything on works until he got saved. And then he based everything on his personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And he moved from man-centered to Christ-centered. Now... All the Christian, all the non Christian religions and cults, Buddhism, Hinduism, Shintoism, uh, Mormons, Jehovah's Witness, to have good things in all of those, but it's all based on works. Christianity is unique. It's unique and it does not base anything on works. It bases everything on Christ that they killed and put in a grave and he came out alive. It's like the guy at the crossroads. Which religion do you follow? The heads of all these religions are dead and Christ is alive. I think you want to follow the guy who's alive. We hope you were blessed by our program today. If you would like a copy of today's program, go to www.fredlowry.com, where you can find this program and other Christian resources by Dr. Fred Lowry.